You're listening to At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. And welcome to this edition of At The Mic. I'm your host, Keith Malinak. This week's episode features the lead singer of one of my favorite bands. It's Elizabeth Zeman of Elizabeth and the Catapult. Elizabeth has effectively lived her entire life in New York City, where she participates in something called busking, a term I'd never heard of before. She started singing before she started talking, and she got inspiration for a new set of songs while working a job making what may be my absolute favorite food ever. She joined me from her New York City apartment, so this interview comes with all of the sounds of an urban center in the background, and and please do give the audio in the room a few minutes as it does change for the better. Anyhow, I hope you enjoy getting to know one of my favorite musical artists, Elizabeth Zeman, in a long-distance edition of At The Mic. You know what? I meant to do this before we even started recording. I have always pronounced your last name Zeman. I really hope that's correct. It's Zeman, but it's fine. I knew this! I knew this was going to happen. That's why it's not in the band name. Because no one would ever get it right. Yes, yes. For for a while, before I met my guitar player, he was from Australia, and he said that his friends called my last name Zimon, which I was like, that's the nicest possible uh, version of my last name I've ever heard. And I should have switched that A to an O many years ago. But um, but no, no worries at all. It's very, very normal. Very normal. Very good. Well, I am a huge fan of your work. So those that are listening to this podcast that maybe aren't familiar, I mean, I know you from Elizabeth and the Catapult, one of my favorite bands easily. You're such a great songwriter, piano player. I absolutely (laughs) love you guys. You're, You're so awesome. You're so talented. In fact, I know that you were born in California, but you were raised in New York City, like right there in the heart of the city. Yes. Um, and Ironically, that's where I discovered you, just walking through Manhattan on my way to work one morning when I swear I thought Pandora was giving me an Amy Mann song that I had never heard before. Oh. But I, I was, I, it was rainiest day of summer. And I'll never cool. forget how ironic it was. It was the middle of winter and I was all bundled up in my coats and gloves. And you walk everywhere in the city, I'm sure. And you're yeah. like, all right, I guess I'll dig into my coat pocket and find out just to make sure I know what song this is. And voila, it was a band I had never heard of. I instantly fell in love with you guys. Thanks, you know, you Pandora. guys. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You you do not you're one of those rare bands that do not make a bad track. You can put an album on and just walk away and I really appreciate that about you guys. Oh, wow. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's a high yeah. compliment. It's sure thing. Sure thing. <laughs> I'm just I'm a I'm a music geek. What can I say? So, your history because you've been immersed in music since you were born, effectively, right? Yeah, I have the whole... I'm, I'm actually not sure um, if it's true or not, but my um, one of my first memories was singing in the back of my parents' van as a baby, I guess, when my brother was studying Suzuki violin, and oh, wow. he would play this annoying version of Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars all day, I think, on his violin. <laughs> it was like da 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 And I think that I was, I remember it because my parents tell me this story. So whether or not this is true, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, but I supposedly was singing that song before I spoke for like a little while. Oh, wow. I was just like communicating in Twinkle Twinkle Little Stars before I was speaking. <laughs> so 
Yeah, my, I mean, as a kid, I was always, you know, dancing and singing and... Yeah, and you actually, you went to school, if I'm not mistaken, for film scoring, right? Yeah, I went to um, Berkeley School of Music because they gave me a scholarship and I was going to go for songwriting because I had started writing songs, I guess, when I was like a late teen. I was kind of late. Um, but I also was really interested in composing. So I went to school for film scoring, but I only got through about a year and a half to two years of the program because I was a jazz singer, Patty Austin, who was looking for cheap background singers and musicians <laughs> yeah. to back her up for this like pretty amazing Ella Fitzgerald tribute tour. I had started singing with this bass player, Esperanza Spaulding, who was like, you know, just an amazing, amazing bass player and writer. Um, and she was in my first band and she was like, Elizabeth, we got to go on tour with Patty Austin audition for this. And I was like, well, I've never, I don't know if I'm ready to do this. I'm not, I'm in, I'm in a film scoring. And she was like, just audition. So we <laughs> ended up touring. It was just pretty, it was a really cool, um, yeah. like intro to like singing in a in an ensemble and a band with like some of the best singers and you got yeah. class credit for that right yeah i got how class did, how credit did you for that. swing that that's pretty amazing well, that's, that's just I, I don't think it's smart i think that's pretty much oh. uh i think that that's that what it is is it's like it's a way to get um yeah i, I mean i think that I, if i didn't get class credit for it then i would have had to continue my studies in film scoring now, whether I'm sure that would have served me well in some way, shape, or form, um, although I didn't finish, but I did end up scoring lots and lots of films with Paul Brill. He usually writes for documentaries, but he's a composer. I worked on, I guess it's close to 30 films with him over the last seven years. So wow. whatever happened, um, I'm still on the path. Uh -huh. I'm on the path that I okay, started well, off at. Uh -huh. So that's good. So I do just a little bit of all the things, which is, so you know, just, I think, what musicians always say. <laughs> right. And selfishly, you knew that I couldn't get through this interview without asking yeah. if you and the band are working on anything new right now. Well, the, I'm working on, I sent some tracks. So the band has been a couple different people over the years. Yeah. that I kind of, um, that rotate a bit, but it's really um, Danny and Pete from Lucius. We still record together, but they have been playing with Lucius for like the last like six or seven years. And I played with, the, I worked with them on the first album, or I was really touring with them on the first album. And then um, since then I have uh, some friends, Jenna Linden, Adam Minkoff, that yeah. I would say that, that, yeah, that this is kind of normal, I think, for when I'm starting to record. By the way, before I forget, Esperanza Spaulding, what was the name of you guys' band back in the day? What was the band? Yeah, because I can't find any, any oh my tracks God. that I'm please looking for. Don't, please don't, please no. don't, please don't. <laughs> okay. It is called the Elizabeth Zeman Band, and okay. <laughs> you can find somewhere, like uh -huh. on eBay or something. Sometimes people tell me oh. I made an album called Diverging Lines, which is which she sounds amazing, but is very it's kind of embarrassing because I hadn't really found my voice or my 
<laughs> I hadn't really found okay. my vision I yet. Gotcha. Let's say as, hey. almost, as a my first album was pretty funny. I I think it's funny. Completely There's understand. There's potential. There's, right. Okay. But I got diverging you. Diverging lines. That first album when it's Elizabeth Zeman band before. Don't you dare look. Don't right. buy it. It's. I already, it's, I already wrote it down. I already wrote it down. So, uh, well, I mean, look. I did radio shows in college. I understand about having old tapes of oneself. However, My kids, yes. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just oh, going no, to say St. Vincent, who I went to school with, Annie Clark oh, yeah. at the time, played some of my first shows with her. She sounded as cool as St. Vincent. She was not, there was nothing like funny about what she was doing. It was like oh. she came out <laughs> just like exactly as right out of the she gate. is right now. So anyway, okay. go, ahead, no. go ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, 20 years ago in college, I thought, man, I got this. This is good. I can handle this, you know. I pulled out those cassette, yeah, cassette tapes a couple, uh, I don't know, mm -hmm. maybe a year ago, and my kids gathered around the old cassette player, Aww. and we listened, yeah, we listened to some of Dad's old, uh, old shows from college, and Dad was not so good. Dad should have destroyed those tapes. <laughs> And grounded my kids for mocking me openly <laughs> right there on the spot. But uh, no, it was, uh, I understand. I completely understand. So when it comes to writing a song, because yeah. you write the lyrics and the music and everything pretty much, correct? I mean, yeah. how does that process, do you write the music and then write the words to fit it? Or do you write the words down and then build the music around it? How do you go through that process? I think in general, I start with lyrics and it turns into something like a rap. And then once I have the general feel and like rhythm of the whole thing, then I'll bring it to an instrument. But there are those rare occasions that, um, well, well, you know, like the, the dream for every songwriter is when you're just, it's like being struck by lightning and you just have a feeling and you just sit down and the words and the music come out all at once, fully packaged, ready to go. And that <laughs> actually is, um, that, so that sometimes happens. And then you're like, this is not, for, I didn't even write this. This is just, I'm a conduit for something else. And that's the truth. Mm. But when it comes to like the craft of writing, I would say that I'm more inspired to write about something when I have a clear idea of what it's about. And when I'm I'm th thinking about the narrating the story and that does not happen from having a melody or music and then fitting things into boxes so much, mm -hmm. which is what I kind of feel like it's a math problem sometimes if I come up with a melody first. So in general, I, I start with words. So let me ask you this. Kevin Griffin, uh, Better Than Ezra, lead singer. The songs on a Better Than Ezra album are written from so many different perspectives. You listen and you're thinking, okay, this isn't this isn't from personal experience. He's not a teenage girl, you know. It, yeah. I, I it just feels like he is writing from multiple perspectives. How about you? Are your songs more of a personal journal? Are they just whatever comes to mind? Is this? Are you living your life in these lyrics? Let us yeah. in on that if you could. Yeah, we, there, one of the uh, positive things about always um, jotting down your experiences is that you are constantly kind of self-healing. And if something terrible happens, you know, it's always a story. It's always a story. <laughs> it could be so, a single. <laughs> it could be a single. I mean, but the I hang out with, I, I've dated a lot of writers and or comedians or 
some reason I always end up with writers and that's <laughs> some people go go and live their life to, to seek out those experiences to write about that's how hardcore they are but with me it's like <laughs> obviously there's there's parts of you know like there's the easy diary entry version of writing and then um I've really been pushing myself more and more over the years to tell other people's stories and I just wrote a song actually a couple of days ago it's just something that I've been kind of fiddling with the idea for for maybe over a year but like hadn't put it into a song form about this um this can collector who used to go around with a dog when I was uh, a kid on Minetta Lane on my block when I was growing up and she would always sing a day oh day oh day like come and we want she always like had the same song so it's like I always knew when she was out there and I always smiled to her and she always smiled back and obviously I didn't know any about any of the hardship of her of her life but I remember thinking about that relationship and that companionship that she had with her dog and and how it must you know looking back now how that those kinds of relationships like really keep a person sane in those instances and so I was writing I I, I wrote I named the dog in my song uh Tokyo so it's like me and my Tokyo instead of me and my Arrow, the Harry Nielsen song. But it's all about this can collector. And I think it's more important as we, you know, as we're delving into this very chaotic and like kind of widespread time of uh, unpredictability unpredictability and hardship <laughs> that we tell other people's stories. So correct me if I'm wrong, but you were raised in the West Village. Yes. You you live in Brooklyn, I think. I live in South Slope. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Near Sunset I, Park. Okay. So I'm not too familiar with New York. I lived up there for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah. But you've your entire life, effectively, you've just lived right there in the city. Is that accurate? Yeah. I've never really. I left New York for those couple of years for um for Berkeley. Um, yeah. Okay. And otherwise, I have not left. Although I. Most summers have been in LA recording or on the mm-hmm. West Coast. Um, I have really not ever been able to leave this amazing city. And that's what I was going to ask you. I'm Are touring, you. Which I tour. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's true. So you actually do get to see quite a bit, which kind of answers my own question, I think, which was going to be. Have you ever wanted to live anywhere other than New York City? But you do see no. quite a bit. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, think, I think the answer is yeah. um, when you tour, you don't really get to experience the city. Um, mm. You're experiencing the inside of the club and you're experiencing if you have an extra hour to walk around. So you're having this very superficial quick look into a city if you're there enough times and you get to know the fans then you get it's another side of the city where you feel like you're getting to know like the heart of the music scene or something in philly or dc with some of these places that i love playing um Mm. but i think the only way and i I, i've lived in this loft space for the last pretty much decade now um which me and uh, my roommates built out when we first moved in there and I'm still there and the there's been so much drama with my building they've tried to kick tenants out half the tenants left they're the, the landlords are criminals it's just like the whole normal New York oh. story of like trying to raise the rent and get the and get the tenants out and I'm still there and I've still made it work for me and I think that like I've just put so much it feels like blood sweat and tears into this apartment 
in Brooklyn and it houses, you know, this grand piano that Rob Moose, who's one of my favorite, yeah. <laughs> he's one of my favorite um, arrangers and musicians in general. He lent me this piano like six or seven years ago that he was like, you know, this piano has been played by Jonas Policewoman and Bon Iver and Sufjan Stevens and everyone that I work with. And there's so much good mojo in this and I'm moving to a smaller place. Well, like, can I lend you this piano? And of course I was like, yes, praise. This is like the best thing that's ever happened. So I feel like having this piano in this apartment um, and then this like living room with really high ceilings um, in this place that I've like really fought to stay in and gone to court and all of this stuff is it's really like to preserve my relationship with this piano, which by the way, is not even my piano. I could, Rob could, could ask for the piano back any day. So I hope I'm not jinxing it, knock on no everything. Kidding. Yes, but, do that. But, but I do think you know. that like, there, I, I don't, it's not, it's like when you have that kind of experience, this is my, these are my people, this is my home, this is my community, you're not driving that, me out. Yeah, all of that sentimental stuff and the fact that I don't want to have to move this piano. Absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> of course. But it's like, I'm so, so lucky that I get to sing and record in my house. Um, yes, and I want to encourage yeah. people to go to YouTube, find your videos. You're right about the acoustics and the piano playing it's in all, there. I'll go to my Facebook. Go to my Facebook page. Oh, see, um, that's why I'm missing out because I've been doing live do streams Facebook. every Saturday. Yeah. Okay, I have some uh, <laughs> binge listening to do. Okay, so I want to talk to you about performing live. And I know you can't answer this because we're in the middle of a global pandemic. And who knows when you'll get on the road again. But I've never had the benefit of seeing you guys play live or any fun. I've just not had that experience. Do you have, and I can't believe I'm asking you this question in the middle of the pandemic, do you have any inkling of when you're going to get on the road again, especially Dallas, Texas? You know what? I think that, I think that this, this um, concept of playing outside is becoming more normal. I'm seeing someone right now who's a comedian and he just booked like a bunch of outdoor shows. It's possible that touring could happen like if you were playing outside and it was small enough and you were, you know, like that, that it's not, that would be more kind of like a road trip, I would say. But mm -hmm. I obviously really miss uh, playing. I'm really lucky that I get to play for my fans online because uh, it's intimate. You know, I still get to play on the instruments that I love and I get to play my, you know, like I was saying, my baby grand and I still get to connect to people. And I think that that's not something that like all art forms can do right now that easily. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for that. Honestly, it keeps me sane. So I just thought of something. You alluded to having a couple of roommates, right? Not right now. I was just going to ask you, how are they when it's concert time and here come the instruments? Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. They would have been all good about it. But they gotcha. um, I, I only would live with people that that um, don't hate Underst my music. Understand <laughs> what they're getting into. I mean, yeah. if you live with me, you're going to hear a lot of music, sadly. Uh -huh. And whatever, whatever floats your boat. It could be sad for you. It could be good for you. It could be the last 30 seconds of... I wish I didn't playing over in my, oh my head. God, over interesting. Interesting. That's the one. That's Can my you... anthem. 
That's my that, that last thirty <laughs> seconds of that song every day. I mean, we have to talk about on on the show. We have to talk about the, the insanities of the world. Right. And it's like yeah, I've got to keep up with this stuff. Uh, I don't, yeah. So anyhow, <laughs> now you have yeah. in a previous life, I guess, worked at a crepery. Is that how I pronounce it? Did I did I pronounce this right? Yeah, I think I, there was a time, there was a period of my life when whenever I would go through um, a breakup of any kind, I would get a job. Um, Wait a minute. Wait, getting a job was how you got through a breakup? Yes. Yeah, I would get like a, I would get like a a job where I didn't need to, usually service industry where I didn't need to think too hard, um, <laughs> but I could kind of like be doing. Uh, uh, for me, that was that was some kind of therapy was hmm. um, making sure that I was just busy all day. And so that I could think of like and, and I usually whenever I do that, um, I end up, and, and also it's important to like just be around people, even if they're strangers. So I remember <laughs> during this one major breakup, I worked at a crepery on Union Square and I would, bur- I was so bad at making crepes. I would burn my hands all the oh, time, but no. I would love it. I would go to this little, and it's actually funny because I ended up working with Sarah Burrells again recently, but she had the musical waitress and there's a song, sugar, butter, flower. Um, and I remember th- about someone like, it's someone's baking and singing and 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 kind of <laughs> ruminating about their life and uh, this character and her musical and I would I remember I wrote like half of one of my albums oh it must have been from that album that you were just quoting from like it never happened uh-huh. I wrote a lot of that like literally in the back room of this crepery I remember I was just measuring I would just go in there. And start thinking of and start thinking of lyrics because remember that's that's how I write is I write with like kind of a rhyme scheme or a rap first before before the music, uh-huh. so um, so yeah it's it's interesting how sometimes there's just always hidden perks to every strange experience. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. You never know. I mean, you just yeah. don't know what. Hold on. Yeah. There, there's there's a line in my head. Hold on. Every closing door, there's an, another one opening. Oh yeah, gosh, there's a lyric. There's a, yeah, <laughs> thank, yeah, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Sorry. See, I, this is just this is my brain. You're, you're <laughs> having to see. You're having to deal with my brain. And if anyone's going to know the references to these songs in my head right now, it's definitely the person who wrote them. But I thought it was funny that you had worked in a crepery. My wife and I were in Las Vegas in 2001 at the Paris Hotel, and. We had never been introduced to crepes before, but yet there was this guy at this cart in the middle of the casino making crepes. Mm, yeah, and we so lived, yeah, we lived off of crepes for like five days that we were there. Uh, and we recently went back in 2019 and we're like, gotta see if the crepe guy's still there. Gotta see if the crepe guy's still there. <laughs> and it's gone from a cart to its own entity, its own like restaurant there. It's like a crepe restaurant. Now the price has gone up double I'm in sure. 20 years. But uh, still, yeah, very, uh, a very good. I'm actually very good on a. I've been a week into a, a ketone diet, a ketosis diet. So I just made myself crepes that are very like. It's very very high fat, super indulgent diet. You're just u- not using real sugar, and you're uh-huh. not using real flour. So I just made myself something like crepes with like 
bacon and with eggs yeah, and you, with... You had me at bacon. Now I'm now I'm paying attention to this yeah. diet of which you speak. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. This is actually... Don't get me going on the ketone diet, but I'm, I'm a week in oh, no. and I'm loving it. I have hugely high energy. It's just a high fat, medium protein, very, very low carb diet. And uh, if you... Mm. Other than having to cook constantly i cook like three giant meals a day i'm feeling there always great. a trade-off you, there feeling was always great. a trade-off you know you <laughs> had you had the bacon you had the energy <laughs> thing which waking up as early as i do i definitely need but then you said it involves cooking. a lot of cooking and see now i'm out i was there oh, when i could be when i could be in. when i could be For lazy like about you it. oh my gosh you would do so well on it but this is the problem with people when they get on on, on ketosis or like something that works for them is that there's nothing worse than someone telling you to try a diet. So I take Hold it on. back. What is Whole30? What is that diet? Is that in the same uh, range? Have you ever heard of that? Whole30? Whole I think my wife's trying to get me to try Whole30. And I'm mm. like, mm, I don't know that I want to commit to. I don't want to do any kind of diet unless it's um, unless I'm really full and eating lots of really yummy Let's see. Hot food. Um, she said that I had to give up alcohol to be on this diet, and I said, no, oh, I'm you out. Can, oh, no, you can drink. <laughs> Sorry. You can drink all sorts of whiskeys and spirits on ketosis, so. I'm telling you, it's the way to go for you, but whatever. <laughs> so speak, speaking of food, you have recently introduced yourself to the Instant Pot, right? Which, oh, yeah. The which I, 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 yeah. I got to tell you, those things are more amazing than the microwave <gasps> when it came out 30 years ago, because the Instant Pot, I don't understand how... You can just pressurize something to the point where you've got a meal, you know, 15 minutes later, fully cooked. How do those things work? I mean, it feels too good to be true. If you're like me and you're making a lot of meat every day, I could just literally take an entire chicken, put it in the Instapot. All right. 10 minutes later, I've cooked an entire chicken. It's insane. <laughs> I... Love it so much. And it makes me eat more vegetables, too, because, you know, you just cut up some zucchinis, you cut up some squash, you cut up some carrots, you just throw it all in there, put a little sauce on. And it's like literally 10 minutes later, I should be working for Instapot. I should right. like I should have free Instapots because I talk about it. I make these little videos online with them. I love them. <laughs> See, I've got some catching up to do on these videos, <laughs> especially if you've got uh, some recipes that I can pass along. Now they've got Wi-Fi on them. There's like there's like some models that have. Oh, I don't. I have what? that. I don't even know what that means. I, it's the next thing. It's gonna fly. I don't know what yeah. it's doing. I don't know. I don't. It's, I don't. It's gonna outsmart <laughs> me someday. <laughs> okay, so tell us about your bunny rabbit, Oslo. Um, okay. I, I have I have seen him um, make appearances. My youngest daughter has a bunny named Timothy or Timmy, and it's pretty Timmy, cute. who is so soft, the softest creature we've ever owned. Yes. He's got an attitude. Okay, That's so because there's children are not supposed to have bunnies. That's why they made it illegal to sell bunnies in pet stores. Because okay. bunnies are... Do you know how long bunnies live for? Tell me. How long do you think your bunny's going to live for? Well, considering he's not manhandled, and considering oh. the most responsible children on the planet are taking okay. care of him... Okay, Um. He will probably live for, oh no, 20 years? No. So basically most, um, if, for kids, uh, yeah. if kids have bunnies, um, they can last between two to like four years. 
Um, but my bunny is going on nine and can live up to 15 years. So okay. basically they're just not, they're, they're some of the most sensitive animals because they're the most sensitive prey animal and they're very cuddly. And like my, my bunny's like a little Pokemon character, okay. always licking my nose and being so cute. But it's because I literally, I'm so sensitive and soft with him and, and I'm an adult. They're not, they're not meant for kids. Well, I know. And that's, that's interesting you say that because, yeah. um, although they're not it's promoted that way like it's the sure world doesn't no know. somebody some kid why don't you mention this got him out of his cage when he was in the pet store and he fell and he was acting all crazy and stuff and they think he had brain damage and everything the bunny or the, the kid? bunny the bunny the oh. bunny so some kid uh-huh. that we've never interacted with of course you know days before we were there Got him out of the cage. He fell, yeah. hit his head. Was yeah. but he made a full recovery. Okay, yeah. the swelling yeah. went down or whatever. And then my daughter comes along and hears the backstory and everything. She, you got to understand, my kids are awesome. How and old I'm is not she? just saying that. She is twelve. Oh, and she, I thought she was like four. No, no. Oh, no. okay, okay. No. So she's twelve, and like I said, she babies him, takes care of him. Um, loves on him. We absolutely love our animals in that house. We have, there's five of us in the house and there are five animals. We will not be outnumbered, Elizabeth. But wow. whenever, whenever Timmy comes out of the cage, you know, he's off doing his thing, getting behind furniture and stuff. Yes. He doesn't like to be held. So do so, you have any bunny rabbit uh, parenting yeah. tips First so that all, he will what, cuddle? What animals does the bunny live with? Um, well, they're never up there with him. There's two dogs and two birds in the house. Okay. So bunnies are sensitive to, to lots of noise. So if there's just a lot of noise around, chances are he's not going to be that chill anyway. So from the get-go, he might be a little on edge if there's too many animals around. Um, <laughs> secondly, first of all, I love that I'm the rabbit whisperer right now. This is mm-hmm. this is great. Uh, secondly, You rabbits, didn't know that that was the trap you were walking into. Yeah, rabbits are actually, I don't know how interesting this is for the public, but this is interesting for me and you. This is my podcast. Uh, yeah, this is for you. Um, ra- rabbits are not supposed to be in cages. So in general, like if they have a room, they, they can be um, just like a cat. They can be trained to just go in the kitty litter, quote unquote. You put their bedding yeah. and you put the straw and you put the food in and then and my bunny does not poop anywhere. Very, very clean. Only poops and pees in the litter, which I change every day as if he were a cat. And he's free to roam wherever he wants in the rooms where I put him. And he's very, very well behaved because he's a free rabbit. Free reign. Free and so range he, rabbit. So he has a good... And then when you're picking them up, just really, really slowly, nice, calm, talking, like, uh, tones in your in your voice... And you can give him treats. I mean, my bunny plays catch and throws a ball around. So, I mean, I this is a different, <laughs> this is just like a, it's a different world over here for my bunny. But I don't, I don't know about training a bunny that's a, already a couple of years into his life to, um, hmm. to not be, uh, I know that you can get rid of the cage. And you can just have, but but I'm going to leave that stuff to you. It's is that where you keep the uh, the litter pan in the cage or just out and about? Okay, so there's no cage. <laughs> oh, there's not even, a, there's no cage whatsoever. No, the cages are not necessary. Okay, well now it's going to get really personal. Where does he sleep at night? What do you mean? Anywhere he wants. Sometimes in bed with me. 
Yeah, you know, okay. I, <laughs> I don't know if you... On a couch, underneath a stool, you know, there's plenty of places. And um, you've trained him since he was a puppy, right? Since he was a little pup, that's right. <laughs> yeah, see, it's probably too late for us. I don't know, we'll, you'll see. He would definitely be a lot friendlier if you got okay. him a tray instead of the cage. And then okay. put his water in a little water bowl and then put his hay on the on one side of the tray and then his food in the All middle. Right. Try it. I don't know. Timmy's got an attitude, Elizabeth. I don't know. We'll, we'll look into that. Okay. okay. La- last song you played on repeat, and I had to look this guy up, and I absolutely loved it. Your answer was uh, Gabriel Kahane. Is that right? Yes. Little Love. Yeah. And this guy, this guy's good. I, why haven't I heard of him? Am I just that um, out of touch? No, I'm out of I, th- touch. I think that um, he is a classical composer mostly, and it's not like he's going to have like a commercial hit out there as mm-hmm. uh, some of my favorite artists do not. He's just, he's a beautiful writer. Um, some of it's pretty complicated. I would say he's like uh, maybe like avant garde writer mm-hmm. but he's he's uh friends with you know rob moose and blake mills and sufyan and all those that whole community of musicians and it's just really high quality stuff i agree he's very talented you you've made a couple of references to an artist who i believe i first heard about him in a snow patrol song and they pronounced his name Sufjan. Suf John Stevens, yeah, and so I, I had to phonetically figure it out and all this stuff. Anyway, but you're pronouncing it differently. Have I pronouncing? I've have I been pronouncing Suf John Stevens? No. no, I think that's great. I've I call him Sufyan, and a lot of I know people that call him Sufyan, Sufjan. It's the same with my last name. Who cares? I was about to say, is it like Zimon, Zimon, Zimon? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't. Okay. Who cares? <laughs> okay, very cool. All right, I just. I thought I was learning a fun fact that I've been oh, saying it oh, wrong this whole sh- time. I'm not sure if it's... I'm not, okay. I, let's say we're both right. Yes. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> now, let's see. Well, we've digressed really hardcore to the bunny to the bunny conversation, so we have, oh, we have to come oh, back up now. <laughs> that's... Well, and we're going to go back to your childhood, because oh. earlier you mentioned one of your earliest memories being that you effectively sang before you talked. You do have another early memory where your brother was throwing avocados down from a tree. Now, was he throwing them at you? Was he attacking you with them? Or what? what is that all about? I think memories are really interesting because we don't know how much, and, and I kind of touched on this, but we don't know from the very, very early ones how much of your memories are the stories that you've been told by your family about what happens and and how much you actually experienced. Um. And, and of course, that's, what, that's all of our memories are co- constantly being rewritten like that. But mm. um, I do know that we had an avocado tree. I do know that I have a brother. <laughs> okay. He's five years older. I do know that he climbed the tree. Okay. That's okay. all I know. That's fine. That's fine. Okay, good. I, you know what? I may have, this, this fits in perfectly. I may have colored the story to be traumatic or negative when i read my brother throwing avocados down from our avocado tree yeah you didn't say he was pelting you with them but i have learned in the conversations that i have had on this podcast that most of the time people's earliest memories are traumatic oh wow they're they're bad 
there's been a couple that were on the other end of the spectrum and were just really, really good. But for the most part, it seems like our earliest stuff is bad stuff that's happened to us. But I'm glad to hear right. that it's it's a neutral of, experience. Because of survival instinct, we remember. Um, well, this has nothing to do with the avocado trees, but something I'm very interested in is um, over the years, um, and what you're saying is because of survival instincts. So we remember the things that were very traumatic to us. I don't know, like you, if you, you sometimes I can remember an entire conversation I had or an entire argument, or if you're thinking about like an argument with your, your wife per se. Um, your wife may remember every single word that happened within the argument. If you're remembering something that's like, oh, what did we have for dinner last week? You're not going to remember that. <laughs> There's something about our brains where we really, really clue into these things that are the details of bad things. And so <laughs> yeah. I have to, I actually spent uh, a good deal of the last couple of years um, uh, making a point to write down good experiences I had oh. in detail because I will forget the good experiences and replace them with all the bad experiences that happened because it's easier. That's just what our brains do naturally, which I think is cool. But anyway, what were you going to say about your wife? <laughs> no, no, that's uh, that's interesting. And I bet writing down those good memories, yeah. ha that's been helpful considering what mm -hmm. the world is going through now. You're able to look back at those. Yeah. But what I was going to say when you were talking about um, arguments and retaining the information, I think that's just what women have the ability to do is to retain all of the facts in an argument. And so <laughs> when, when, when it's yeah. the guy's turn to talk, we're just like, um, <laughs> yeah, I think you got me yet again. Okay, good. All it right, actually, good talk. It, it actually, you're saying may, maybe, maybe that's true, but it actually is a real scientific truth that there's something about our brains because of keeping, uh, we have to keep the family alive. It's a survival instinct that women are better at retaining specifically what happens within these familial relationships. Sorry. That's fascinating. <laughs> I got to find, is this a, this is a study or a book or what, what are you... What do I, I just need to read? I just read, I just read this somewhere. <laughs> Keith, um, just trust her. She's a woman. She retained that information. <laughs> just take her word for it, man. Listen, I don't retain a lot of information. Honestly, yeah. I do not retain a lot of information. Maybe this keto diet is helping me with, with my oh. energy a bunch, and it's helping my brain function a bit. Um, okay. Because I was just getting a little tired during this pandemic. But um, I, I do think that... Uh, hmm that the fact that I was, that I remember that that's a truth, but I don't remember what the source is proves that I don't remember everything. <laughs> okay. For me, if it didn't happen during an Atlanta Falcons football game, mm. I have no, I, I have no idea then. So notice that you remember that though. It's, it's no, it's, that's be, because almost, that's your passion. That's your passion. So you remember it. Yeah. But that's an idiot the savant details. type thing that, I, I, my daughter, my oldest daughter, asked me not too long ago, hey, Dad, who did the Atlanta Falcons play? And she just threw out week five, 1997. I forgot yeah. what, what it was. Yeah. And that was some guesswork. I was trying to relive the season in my head, and I thought, you know what? Let's go with the Denver Broncos at the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. And she looked it up, and sure enough, that's who they played. Now, I'm not going to get that right every time, but I have a pretty good idea I'm not proud of this ability. I, think, I don't think that that's a cha I don't think that that's an idiot savant or a chance thing. I think that has to do with 
your brain uh, that for you, that's one of the most important things in your life. And that's sad. I, that should not be. But it's true. When you're really interested in something, it's retained whether you whether or not you like it. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, anyway, that's uh, that's whatever. So <laughs> that's me. Um, tell me about Francisco Nunez. Oh, that's interesting. Um, so Francisco Nunez is one as a teacher of mine who. When I was a kid, the, the way that I got into music was, by the way, thank you for asking because no one's ever asked me that in an interview. And I think it's it's a really cool angle. Um, yeah. So the question was, who has had the biggest impact on yeah. you in your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so Francisco, uh, my music was a, was a music teacher. He was the choir director. When I was a kid, I was a part of the New York Young People's Choir, which was an organization that um, took kids from the inner cities and from the Upper West Side and from, in my case, downtown and uh, Harlem and Brooklyn and got a bunch of uh, kids together from different backgrounds to sing mostly uh, pretty interesting, unique, new classical music, a lot of which Francisco wrote. And the choir did so well so fast that we were, I sang a solo, I was singing at Carnegie Hall with them by the time I was like, 10 years old, uh, we sang the White House, uh, we sang a lot of really, and they've done amazing, some amazing, um, music. They're like just a, a, they're like a competitive children's choir. And I left by the time I was 13, sadly, because I was, I was going through some stuff in high school and I was, I just stopped, I stopped all my music, but I really had this, you know, uh, I'm sure that all of that really interesting. And he actually got a MacArthur award a couple years ago. He's still going strong. Um, That's great. But I think that that definitely influences you when you have these amazing performing experiences, but just also musically when you're kind of um, absorbing this very unique classical music at a young age. And I also was a classical pianist until I also stopped playing around. I'd say I started stopped studying seriously around 13 or 14 as well. Do you want to explore that? Do you want to tell us what was going on, or should we let that one go? What, what the classical be, or what, where I stopped? Yeah, you got you stopped everything there at that age. Um, I went to LaGuardia, which is a music school. It's like the Fame School in New York City, and uh, my first year there, I just had such a bad time. I didn't get along really with any of the kids. I think mm. that. There were some weird things going on with some of the teachers. There was just some sketchy stuff going on in LaGuardia when I went there. Um, like one of the like substitute teachers was dating like one of my classmates who was 16. There was just a lot of weird stuff going on. So I think that that school and that experience also like being kind of the small fish in the big pond thing is a really, really mm-hmm. big school. And I had gone to small public schools before that. So whatever the myriad of reasons were, I ended up um, leaving that school. Uh, I had a tough time at that school. And I think that when I, s- it didn't mean that I stopped singing or, or, or playing music for fun, but I think that I stopped my serious, uh, before high school, I was, I was pretty immersed and I think, you know, I took some, I took some years off. I gotcha. Okay. Understandable. Listening to a lot of Nirvana, whatever. Uh, (laughs) It was a different time. It was a different time for me and it was an important time for me. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Okay. I went back before you and I had this conversation and I read a couple of older articles with you and there were a couple of things I wanted to ask you about 
Number one, I learned a new word, busking. Mm-hmm. There's an actual word for singing or playing in the New York subway system. Tell me about yeah. your. Uh, the the you done word that? is is to um, is playing outside anywhere. It just means playing on the street. Oh, okay. Have you ever dragged your piano down underground? Never. <laughs> I was I've actually, seen that. Yeah, I know. Oh my gosh, I know. There's a guy. I worked for uh, Sarah Bareilles' new TV show that just came out, Little Voice, um, on Apple TV. And there's a scene that features this New York busker who takes his entire grand piano around with him in Washington Square Park. He's kind of famous for it. I don't know. I've seen this how. guy. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Redhead? Redhead? I can't remember. I just remember yeah. being stunned that there was a piano underground. No, he's crazy. <laughs> how he's do they so get... crazy. Obviously, he has help, but... No, I mean, he takes it apart and he puts it on like a pulley and then he like has a car and it's like a whole thing. No. And he's, it's totally, cr- I, I feel wow. so bad for his back, really. Right, right. But I, I bet <laughs> if you recorded an album down there, the acoustics, that mm. would be something else. I know the reverb is incredible. So that's why I, uh, I started playing after I was on Verve Records, which is under Universal. So it was like a major label and it was a lot of support for my first two records and then before my third record like it never happened I started I was just like oh I need to I just need to find a new way of I need to regroup and kind of connect to my music in a new way so I started I decided I wanted to learn the guitar and that the most kind of the most interesting way to do that for me would be to go bring a guitar to Church Avenue which is a very very vacant uh, or was at the time tunnel in a subway station in Brooklyn. And it sounds like a church down there. It literally sounds like the acoustics are so beautiful. The reverb is so long and the echo is so long when you sing. I just brought my guitar down there and I would um, write and play throughout the day. And by the end of this period, I think like even like a month or two in, I was really playing guitar. So I have to thank busking for that. Huh. Yeah. So- just completely self-taught then. Um, yes. Is that right? Wow. Yes. Good for you. So you've taught you. Aaron Neville how to play the piano or taught him? What, what was oh that? Uh, Where did you find that piece of information? Oh, <laughs> I'm a producer by trade. I research, okay? You're reminding me things I didn't know about myself. Um, well, yes, I, I gave but, him. But I, it might be impressive that I know that fact, but yet I didn't realize you were giving free concerts every week. I that's mean, what, how that's, that's how funny. good am I at this job? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, so you taught Aaron Neville how to play the piano? Well, I wouldn't say I taught him how to play the piano. I would say that we had the same management company at the time. So I think his one of his brothers was a better pianist than he was. He wanted to play like Dr. John. Mm. And I came and I and I was working with him on some of the basics. But when it came to like really shedding and really playing the blues, I was not the right teacher. So I actually <laughs> was like, please study with someone else. But you're wonderful. And he was very uh, sweet. He's like this gentle giant. What a sweetheart. Tell me about your embarrassing moment where you did an interview with NPR, but you were on uh, codeine. Is that right? Uh, what, oh, what wow. happened there? Yes. <laughs> some of these questions for the, pre, yeah. the pre-interview questions. Yeah. We're so we're so personal. I like this one, um, but I but some of them I was like, "What do I regret most in my life?" Right. I haven't even told that to my closest friends. Um, <laughs> I'm I'm skipping some of them where the answers were, 
Hmm. All right, we'll just skip that one. <laughs> but no, go ahead and tell me about your NPR interview after getting a wisdom tooth taken out. Yeah, so I would have been asked, it was after Taller Children, it was after the first record, we had been asked to fly out to Aspen for the Sundance Festival at the time. And I was really excited to be on this sh- uh, NPR show called Studio 360. And this guy, Kurt Anderson, was interviewing me. At the time that he interviewed me, I was basically brain dead because I had just gotten a wisdom tooth taken out. I was on so much codeine. I just remember that he was asking me these questions and everything was kind of going in slow motion. And I had to perform a song with my band. I remember we performed the song Perfectly Perfect. Luckily, the song kind of sounds like vaudevillian, almost circus-esque. So I think the fact that I was basically high... Did um, your band members know what you were going made, through? Oh, yeah. With the pain and everything? Oh, yeah. Okay, okay. I just remember my mouth just not work. I just remember everything not working. But, you know, it's not my only time being on drugs during something um, really important. Not, But not knowing that I was on drugs. Because <laughs> this, uh, this other... When I opened for Amy Mann, you mentioned Amy Mann earlier. When you were talking about Rainy Sea of Summer is um, I had such a cool gig opening for her in Atlanta and one of her fans offered me and my band at the time a bunch of cookies and we'd been on the road and um he just said oh are you guys hungry I just made these homemade cookies and he didn't tell us and and none of us um smoked pot or we like this is how you know that I don't smoke because I don't even know how, like how to talk the, the, the verbiage yeah the verbiage um but yeah. I but I'm just a very sensitive soul so I can't really even like do much of anything I mean I can just drink a little bit but I uh, I'll, I'll just have all sorts of weird reactions so I got so high before or after your show before the show during the show after the show I had like I remember after the show I had my my sunglasses, like we all got these free Ray-Bans and I was wearing these Ray-Bans at the like, at the, at the merch table and she came to, to talk to her fans and I was selling and, and I just kept saying, I think supposedly out loud, my friend told me that I was saying out loud, don't talk to Amy Mann, don't talk to Amy Mann, even though oh, I was standing no, right next to her. No. And then I wrote her this email that she never wrote back to, I mean, it was just like a whole <gasps> Oh man! So that's not my worst. Oh no! So wait, I've got story. three questions. Then, yeah. number one, does audio of the NPR interview exist anywhere? Because I kind of want to go and listen nope. to it. Not All right. Say it. Number two, the Atlanta show. Does audio of that <laughs> exist anywhere? And number three, yep. you kind of already answered that question. I was gonna ask you, did. Amy Mann know what was going on. No. Um, oh, no. And then that email, she never replied. Did you find this guy, this jerk that, that hooked y'all up with these poison no, cookies? No, just, just another idiot. Never in eat this world. food that's <laughs> given to you by a stranger. Oh, yeah, that's boy. such an obvious thing. But when you're on tour. Yeah, you were desperate, right? You were starving. You haven't eaten all day. Yeah. And there's yeah. this guy, and he seems nice enough. He says, I just made these homemade cookies, and you guys look so famished. 
and he's not he doesn't seem high himself you're just like what a nice guy but wow oh. did i learn from that experience wow and how ironic it was the way we opened this podcast where i'm like yeah i thought i was listening to amy man <laughs> i didn't realize at the time you were thinking man she never did reply to me by the way <laughs> so so uh you want to run a marathon at some point uh right is that is that a goal like do you ever run as it is or you're just thinking one day i'm gonna put shoes on and run the new york city marathon Okay, why are you saying this? Is it something that I wrote in your questionnaire? Yeah, um, because <laughs> what did you I say? Said, I said, uh, "What would you do if you knew you could not fail?" And I thought you wrote a marathon. Yeah, yeah but it's but I've never wanted to run a marathon in my life. It's just something that I would never believe I could do. Okay, I see. So you're not a runner or anything like never. that. Never. You're just. No. This okay. is why this questionnaire is actually not, I don't think this questionnaire is a good idea for interviews. What because do you mean? It, because it does it because it's so there's so many different questions and yeah. some of them have nothing to do with the person. They're just like, huh. oh, that's an interesting question. Why not? Sure. Avocados are the thing. So they can't all be turned into conversations. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah. So some it's of them just end up being very random. Right. But. I mean, we find so many interesting things. Uh, we eventually get there. It's we true. Get there so, eventually. so let's. We found a lot of really interesting things, but some, but a lot of them weren't from the actual questions. That's You'll true. You'll notice. All right, but like see, you're, you're stuff. doing a good job of remembering things from ten minutes ago, <laughs> and you shouldn't be doing that. Okay, so I just got another quick question here for you. Okay. Um, I, I mean, am I allowed to ask this question? When was the last time you tried something new for the first time? You said you don't ride bikes and you tried just last week. And my follow-up was going to be when you were a girl, when you were growing up, you didn't ride a bike. Did you yeah. just learn last week? I'm being serious. Did you just ride a bike for the first time last week? So I rode when I was very, very young, like maybe okay. when I was like seven or eight, when I visited a friend like in the suburbs. Right. Because see, your experience, your childhood... Growing up in the West Village. Yeah, we we don't we don't drive. Yeah, yeah. We don't. But but there's really no excuse for the riding bikes because everyone rides a bike here in New York and everyone rides a bike in all the big cities. But because I don't drive, and I'm scared of drivers as is. And I by the way I did get my license as an adult a couple years ago, and I'm still so horrified. I'm scared of driving. I wow. drove myself a year and a half ago on a tour in San Francisco by myself. And I t I'm telling you, I almost died. There was to be to not be a real driver and to start driving in San Francisco after in you get San your license. Francisco. It was crazy. I'm oh, telling you, the hills. I didn't know that sometimes your GPS will tell you to go the wrong way. Like on a one way street, it could say like go the wrong way. I'm telling you that I almost had the scariest thing that ever happened. I haven't driven since, but I hate driving. I want nothing to do with it. I'll always be a New Yorker in that way. So that just means that if I, now I'm getting on a bike to try to get around during the pandemic, that it's like an added layer of just my fear of cars being added to this means that I'm just, I shouldn't be on a bike, really. But did you find it that the adage is true? You never forget how to ride a bike, you know? I mean, was I did, that... I did enjoy it. I did enjoy okay. the wind. But then, then I saw traffic and I was like, I'm getting off. All <laughs> right. Well, okay. Well, at least you're, you know, at least you got that option now, right? Um, yeah. Do you, did you buy a bike? I mean, do you have one available to you now? Or? Uh, yes. I, okay. Um, and I'm about to get, I have this like vintage bike 
that an old roommate had um, in the house, but I'm about to get, I may not be able to buy a, a fold-up bike. I was going to buy a fold-up bike because the other bike is too heavy for me to bring up and down the stairs. Okay. But it depends Is it going to have a bell and a basket, maybe a horn, or you're not doing that? <laughs> I would no. do all of it, but, but the oh. point is that if you can fold it up, then you can bring it up and down easily. But okay. I may not be able to afford any purchases now with with whatever's happening. But we'll see. We'll see. Okay. Very last question. Yeah. And you probably aren't able to answer it, but I'm going to ask it anyway because maybe I'll get an avocado tree answer out of it. Um, but I had asked you um, a question. <laughs> avocado tree answer is yeah. something that you should just keep in your vernacular all the time. It will always mean the same thing. That should Mis- be a mystery. Uh, that, that should be an album title at some point. Avocado Tree Answer. No, um, <laughs> I had asked you on the rundown that I sent ahead of time. You said you were working on a project. You are under a non-disclosure agreement, which I completely understand, with some known musicians. So here is my question. It's not to ask you to break an NDA. It's Uh-oh. to ask you, will we know when this project that you're working on... Where we go, oh, that's what she was working on. Or yes. is it going to be something under the radar that we're never going to know about? Oh, you you would definitely know about it if it was ever able to come out. It would be for okay. public, very okay. public. So I can leave this question in, in the yes. hopes that something great happens soon? Well, let's see if we can, people can perform again. <laughs> uh, our society has just... I hate where we're at right now. I, I hope things I get better and back I to normal know. very soon. Okay, I so know. if people want to follow you, you're on Instagram. Look for uh, at the catapult. And then I, Facebook is Facebook. Elizabeth in the catapult. Yeah. Yeah, but I lied. I do have one more question. What? Okay. How, where, where, where does catapult come from? What, what is that? Is that is that because you borrow musicians and then you catapult them away until the next oh, album? Oh no. no! Like what? <laughs> Honestly, where, where where did you get the catapult? There's where is no that catapulting from? musicians away. I keep my friends and associates very close. Um, <laughs> I I would say that I probably came about and by the way if you come up with a silly band name like elizabeth and the catapults at a young age and then you start a career with it you can never get rid of it so i'm stuck with it for life for better or for worse, for better or for worse i'm stuck with this catapult oh i don't know but but it could have been worse you could have been the cranberries who were originally the cranberry saw us because they thought oh that's so witty the cranberry sauce the cranberries Uh, saw us and then they, like they got story. wise. Yeah, they got wise and were like, let's just go with the cranberries. Oh, wow. So. I lo- Oh, gosh. I love I love that band so much. Yeah. Um, so I remember, all I remember is that I was reading James and the Giant Peach while I was making, it was going to just be the my name um, for my first album. And I was making this, uh, I had this vision of this little girl with a slingshot aimed at paper cranes in the sky. And if you can, if you find my first EP, which is floating out there also on eBay, probably. But sometimes <laughs> my fans talk about my my first EP, which wasn't released on a major label. But that is the cover, is this little girl with slingshot, a little mischievous girl. And um, and I just thought, oh, maybe Elizabeth and the Catapult. Uh-huh. Uh, so it's basically like the art kind of informed the name. And I wasn't sure if that was just going to be like the album, the name of the album. But it ended up being the name of the band. Ta-da! It, it, if the timing had been differently, it could have been Elizabeth and the Crepes. 
It's so, true. Or Elizabeth and the Slingshot. Or the Paper Elizabeth, Cranes. There you go. There you go. You have been so gracious with your time. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Yeah. On, on Instagram, it's um, The Catapult and uh, Facebook.com slash Elizabeth and The Catapult. We will look forward to the lockdowns and the madness ending and get you back out on the road and uh, life back to normal. Thanks so much for making time, Thank Elizabeth. Thank you so much. This has been At The Mic with Keith, an independent podcast production. Look for At The Mic Show on Twitter to connect. <laughs>